Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, financial institutions and securities. Uh, then I will end the lecture 20 minutes before the time expires for the class so that you can take your first quiz. And when you're finished with it, you're done for the day. And uh, other matters on the agenda real quick. I will be sending out the link for you to register if you want to take the Excel uh, cor crash course. And here's how it will work. In order to get certified, you have to hit, by the way, it's $30, they jacked up the price. Here's how it works. If you uh, get the certification, that's five points that is added to your midterm exam. If you score above a 90% on the, final, on the final test they give, then that's five points on your final exam as well. So that's your extra credit if you want to do the Excel crash course. And it's to your benefit because then right there on LinkedIn and in your resume, you can say certified Excel. Uh, and it, matter of fact, I think they'll even give you a little logo you can put in your LinkedIn uh, badge to show that you are Excel certified by Wall Street Prep, the leading uh, training company in Microsoft products. So that's there for you. If it's not a requirement, but it's definitely something that you ought to consider doing. And it's all set up. You'll just, I'll send the link out tonight. Just click on it, and there's a registration page at Wall Street Prep. And I've got it all set up with my representative. Before we do anything as far as content goes, let's look at the numbers and see how the market fit, worked out today. Uh, or I think we're near the closing bell. Okay. Sir, is this a bull day or a bear day? It's just barely more of a bull day, but you see that it started out down hard. There was some bad information overnight, so there was a sell-off right on the bell, and then it was crawling its sorry butt up all day long out of that. The bears finished with whatever information was uh, getting them all worked up, and then the bulls started coming in and grabbing some cheap stocks. One thing that can happen in a... Bear, uh, on a bear day is the portfolio managers are just going to clean out a lot of stuff and then they'll look to see, well, what's, what's here that might not, might have gone down too much and then they'll buy back in. And that's what you see, that recovery that started in the uh, mid-morning or early mid-morning is uh, that happening. Notice, interestingly enough, whatever the bad news was, it had that typical pattern the biggest companies on earth, represented by the Dow 30, were down the least, and they've actually made it back just barely into positive territory. The 500 giant companies, more sensitive, a little riskier, they took it down more, and then the NASDAQ is still crawling back from a pretty negative day. The most risky companies took the biggest hit, and so they will be the ones that climb back the best uh, at the end, they have the most volatility. Kind of a typical day. Now here's the interesting part. Well, first of all, crude. 
having a quick look at crude oil, you'll see that, as I had told you, we're in a trading band, and I, my, my thinking is that it's probably about 79, maybe 78 to 85, and it's just going to bounce around there for a while. Uh, and ultimately, we will see gas prices beginning to ease back. But a lot of the hydrocarbon products that are being produced right now are filling up the supply chains for the distillates like diesel, jet fuel, kerosene. So you're going to see the price of gasoline paying the price, as it were, uh, with higher prices until those other products that come out of oil are, are in better supply. And that'll take a few weeks. But don't panic about oil prices going through the roof unless something really bad happens. Now, interestingly enough, gold had a nice, a little bit of a surge. Notice that even gold was down. I mean, it was kind of a bear market all over the place here for a while today. Silver recovered, and it's now in positive territory. But there's nothing really spectacular going on in those markets right now. Although that's silver. That's up a percent right now, so that's, that's a pretty big move on silver. But he, over here in the bonds, notice that the bonds have been down for most of the day. Those are yields. Yield and price are inversely related. So as yields go down, prices are going up. So that would mean that buyers, investors, were buying bonds. Well, where were they getting the money to buy bonds? Well, that was this over here. The sell-off in equities funds, you sell your equity positions, and then you go to the uh, bonds. And the bonds are safer than the stocks. This is what we call a flight to quality. A flight to quality is a, the movement of funds from riskier securities to safer securities. A flight of quality is the movement of funds from riskier securities to safer securities. The movement of funds from riskier securities to safer securities. Now, if I repeat a definition three times, you're pretty much assured that it's going to show up on quizzes and exams. Now, so in other words, Equities, in general, are riskier than bonds. So a flight to quality, if there's a worry about the economy or something like that, investors will bail out of the riskier equities and move those funds to the bonds, which is what you saw today. It was a very minor flight, and it didn't last very long either. Now, flight to quality, there's an old saying, <coughs> from stocks to bonds, from bonds to metals, from metals to bullets. Uh, in, other words, so in other words, a stage one flight to quality is stocks to bonds. That's all we saw is a minor stage one flight to quality. Okay, If you start seeing uh, investors getting out of stocks and bonds, and you see metals like gold and silver surging, then you're in a stage two flight to quality. If all, everything is going down and you see people at the shooting range buying bullets, well, that's when the zombie apocalypse has happened. And it's time to get your cardio up and remember Double Tap. Uh, if some of you maybe remember Zombieland. Okay, anyway. So uh, right now, I mean, the market is really, this is one of those days, it's kind of like, 
yeah, there was some bad news that spooked the hell out of the market at the beginning, but then it, uh, the markets got there. Uh, it, that news came through, and then what news came after that was positive. So everyone moved, they moved them to bonds, and then they moved them back to stocks when the smoke had cleared. It's just kind of like one of those days on the street. Volatility is just uh, something that we hate it, and it's just gonna be there. If you're an investor and you're an active investor, you're gonna be up and down lots of money. And just a few months ago on one day, I lost all 2,000 of $2,200 in my fund account, fund. And then a couple of weeks later, I came back and I was up about $1,500. So, I mean, it's just like, this is a rodeo, and if you're into that, welcome to the dark side. Now, looking over here, if we look at the international in Tokyo, Tokyo is, uh, Tokyo is in the middle of their night now over there. Um, the Nikkei yesterday, uh, last night was, you notice that it started out a little down, and then there was some good news in, a lot, in Japan, and there was a surge, the bulls came in, but after that, it just kind of flopped along a little bit of a sell-off, not much after that. And that is a good, kind of an example of how uh, what we do in finance is actually nothing but physics. You might remember one of Newton's laws, uh, uh, an object that is mo in rectilinear motion tends to stay in rectilinear motion unless it's acted upon by some force, that's exactly what stocks do. They tend to not do anything unless there's a force, and then it will have its effect, and then it will go back to its rectilinear motion. That's what you see in these uh, stock prices. The only thing that moves a stock price is the force of information. And once that information has been gobbled up, it goes back to what it was doing before, going on a flat surface, bobbling, of course, up and down. Uh, but so the idea that there's some magic or some mysterious stuff going on in finance, that's really not true. All we do is stay, uh, essentially, we stay on the course of uh, holding that we're in a science, we're financial engineers. And so this is what has happened today. Now I'm going to take you through a couple of stocks here and show you, uh, just to get this back and uh, just get you into the flow of it. Now, one that I'm going to show you to start off with is a company called Sunrun, solar panels. This one is an interesting little animal. It took a toilet break today. Notice how last night it closed at 26.09. Overnight, the buying and selling for position was definitely selling, uh, was the ba on balance selling. And so when the bell opened this morning, boom, it was down right off the bat by uh, a couple of bucks almost. So it, w it was a nasty day on that. And Sunrun is just a classic example of your typical pretty risky stock. Now, notice that the bid and ask is actually pretty tight on this. I mean, you you would buy the stock at 24.25, you'd sell it at 24.24. That is actually a pretty tight bid-ask spread. Usually the bid-ask spread is tighter the more activity there is. Because I, as a trader, 
If I've got only a few shares trading, I'm going to need to make money off each buy-sell uh, round. But if there is a lot of trading, that, market, that will tighten up because more market makers are playing and there's more activity, so we don't have to charge as much of a spread between the bid and the ask. And as you can see, so if we look down here, oh yeah, look at that. A lot, almost double the volume, and we're not even finished with the day yet, almost double the volume of a typical day over the last 52 weeks. You see that? The on-balance volume is 11.4 million today. Usually, for a whole day, it's just a little under 7 million. So this was an active stock. Obviously, there was some bad news, and you can see that. See how it, just, it came out of its pit for a minute or a little bit, but then more bad news, and it just went to the uh, crapper. And then, interestingly enough, there was a surge of bulls. Typically, that will happen if the bulls think that the sell-off was too strong. And they'll say, okay, there may be a bargain in here. You see, today, it got as low as 22.51, and then it began to recover. There was information that said, eh, 22.51 is a little on the low side. So there was buying pressure that brought it back up, and then from there, it just kind of bobbled. Looks like there are some more buyers coming in right now towards the end of the day but uh, against the sellers. But overall, this took a real bad hit today overall compared to yesterday. Okay, so now $5.2 billion, that's not a very big company uh, for the market cap. But let's talk about uh, risk, looking at beta. Now, on, in your judgment, is looking at beta, is this a high-risk or a low-risk stock? Yes, above one is high risk. I mean, this is really above one. I mean, that, that's, a, that, that's a risky AF, as we would say technically. Uh, I mean, that's nosebleed territory for a stock. Now, interestingly enough, though, I can see right here that this stock, this company is profitable, which is kind of amazing for a small cap company. But you see here, EPS, earnings per share, that's the total, the net income, divided by the number of shares. So that would be positive only if they have positive net income. So this company is actually profitable. But here's the one I'm going to teach you. This is the new one, the P-E ratio. The P-E ratio, the heck, P-E ratio or PE as we call it. That is the price divided by the earnings per share. Price per share divided by earnings per share. Now, in a very real sense, what this is, this number says, how many dollars are investors willing to pay for one dollar of current earnings that the company has generated? How many dollars are investors willing to pay for one dollar of current earnings of the company? Now, in this case, 
This is telling us that investors are willing to pay almost $72 to claim $1 of earnings. Put another way, this 70, that 71.82 is saying the equity investors believe that every dollar the company has made for them, they will be able to turn into almost $72. Now, a higher P.E. ratio would be associated with a riskier stock. I want to point out that right off the bat, the book tells you exactly the wrong answer, the wrong information. I can tell that one of the authors is not a trader, has never touched the real world. The other one's pretty sharp. But whoever is that one, he thinks that higher P.E. ratios are safer. Absolutely not. Let me give you how bad it can get. Back in the mid to late 90s, the stock markets were going absolutely gaga insane, bullish. It was just a wild time. You had P.E. ratios in the hundreds, uh, a couple in the thousands. In other words, a P.E. ratio of 800 says that investors think this company earned $1 for them, so it's going to turn that into $800 for them. The classic worst example historically was in Japan at that time. There was a company that had a P.E. ratio of 200,000. What that meant was that investors thought every dollar that company earned for them was going to turn into $200,000 for them. Of course, the company <laughs> detonated and died a really ugly death. I mean, that's just insane. Right now, different analysts will tell you different numbers. The one I use, about a P.E. ratio of about 30 is pretty much what you would say is about right, about 30. Now, if the price-earnings ratio is above that, that would mean that the price is too high. The stock is overvalued. If the price-earnings ratio is much below that, then the price is probably a little low compared to intrinsic value. So it's undervalued. So I use, and there are others who do this too, I use the P.E. ratio as sort of a measure of over or undervaluation of the stock against intrinsic. And like I said, you'll see some say 25, others say 40. I kind of like 30 because that would be, and also these two are usually in agreement. The beta and the P.E. are telling us the same thing. And in this case, they definitely are. The real interesting ones are where you see the beta saying it's safe and the P.E. ratio is saying risky or vice versa. Uh, but here you can see that they're both saying about the same thing to you, that this is a relatively, this is a risky stock, a very risky stock. And, uh, a, and any kind of investor, unless you are really a risk taker, this is an investment that you would probably want to avoid. Now, I want to look, look here. The forward dividend and yield. This company does not pay a dividend. The money that it's earning, it's putting right back into the company. 
It's plowing it all back. Let me explain this in a little more detail to you. You did your accounting and you saw revenue minus cost of goods sold. You notice all those expenses. Then you get to the EBIT, operating income, and you get the, uh, then you take away your interest expense. And then you get your pre-tax, your ta uh, and then you pay your taxes. And then finally, there at the bottom line is the net income. That belongs to the shareholders. That's why we say the debt holders have the prior claim to the cash flows of the corporation. You have to pay them in a timely manner. You have to pay your interest expenses. You have to pay your suppliers. You have to pay your wages. You have to pay all those bills. And if there is anything left, that belongs to the shareholders. So we say that the shareholders have the residual claim to the cash flows. They don't get a dime until the bills have been paid in a timely manner. Now, here's the thing. Once you get to this residual, the net income, the company can do two different things with it. Let's say they have $100. Well, they can plow that back into the company. I mean, that should grow the company, and that should lift up the stock price. Remember, this, this money belongs to the shareholders. So this is being done by the board of directors deciding what to do with that money on behalf of the shareholders. So they can plow it back in or they can pay and or they can pay a dividend. They just take some of that net income and they cut a check. And the, you get that check. Now companies that are young are probably not going to send out a dividend because they want to have every penny go back into their operations to grow the company and lift the stock price. It's only after a company has grown and it's more mature that it'll cut some off and give it to the shareholders. When I was a consultant, uh, in, uh, there were more than a few circumstances. I was doing small startups and companies getting on their feet and they, you know, they, some of them were profitable but they just put the money all back into the company. Uh, and this frustrated the shareholders. In one case, there was a company, it had, we had done a reverse merger, where you've got a company that's listed, but it's dead. Hell, we didn't even know where the original officers and directors were. So we took control of the company and inserted a private company into it to turn it into a public company without all the paperwork. It, it's, it's called a reverse merger into a public shell. And so, we sent out notice to all these shareholders who had had this stock for a lot of them for decades. And you know, we said, we're coming in, we're gonna put this company on its feet. This is what we're doing. We've got this really cool uh, product and we've gotten it through prototype. And hey, we made a profit and blah, blah, blah. You know, the usual hype and uh, pump the stock and all that kind of stuff. Well, we didn't pay a dividend and shareholders at the annual, Finally, at this one annual shareholders meeting, uh, you have the time when the shareholders can speak their piece. They get up to the microphone and they talk. And I mean, they were 
upset. You know, you're saying you're profitable. We've had this stock for so many years, and yet you're saying you're profitable. Where's our dividend check? And this one woman, she just would not stop. She just said, we invested in this back 30 years ago. You're saying you're profitable. Well, where is our dividend? We want a dividend. We want a dividend. And I mean, I'm the one who has to speak to them. The, the directors are sitting behind me. And I, you know, I have to be nice to her. I said, oh, look, bitch, uh, this, <laughs> we're plowing the money back into the company and growing it. Uh, we've got to have that money. Uh, of course, that didn't help. Interestingly, the board of directors knew a back door to get out of there after the meeting, and I went out the front door of that church, and that was a mistake. Uh, but anyway, so you see this dividend thing. You're seeing a young company. The only way people are going to make money off this company is through capital gain, through the stock price going up. See, with, if a company pays a dividend, that's nice for, especially for fixed income, people, older people, they get a check in the mail every, uh, well, they pay the checks quarterly. They get, they get money in the mail. It's like having a savings account for them. But if a company is only doing capital gains, you can see why it's risky because there's no guarantee investors are ever going to see a dime if the stock price doesn't respond. They're, they're dead. And so that's why this company is really, really risky. It is terribly risky. Now let me go over here to Target, or if you're upscale, it's Target. And here we go. Well, Target took a little bit of a hit today, nothing much. But if you look at Target, the first thing that you will notice, well, you'll notice a lot of things. Notice that the bid ask is a little wider. And notice that the volume traded today is a little lower. That's not a perfect relationship, but you can see that because there is a lack of trading, you will buy this stock at 163.68. You can sell this stock at 163.64. So, in other words, you buy this stock, you're already in the hole four cents a share the minute you buy it, because if you wanted to just flip it, you're going to lose four cents. And that's, in this case, that's because there's not much trading. Notice, though, that it did have a nice surge. It, it suffered the hit that the market did, and then it's climbing back out just like the market is. Now, interestingly enough, uh, okay, the P.E. ratio, or rather, look at the beta. The beta of this stock is right on the fulcrum. A 1.00 is the world portfolio. This target is essentially responds over a long period of time in a well-diversified portfolio, it responds just like the world portfolio would. So if you bought Target and a bunch of other stocks that had beta similar to that, essentially you're in the world portfolio. You're moving up and down with the global economy, which is dominated by the US, of course. But, um, but notice that the PE ratio is a little bit on the low side. It's below 30. So I would almost be willing to say uh, Target at 163.49 might be a little, a little undervalued. I, you know, that's what I'm looking at that PE to tell me, is that I'd, if it were 30, I'd say, well, it's, you know, it's a wash. You buy it, you're just going to make normal returns. But if I, in this case, it just looks like that beta sitting there at just about one is telling us that, it, that the PE ratio, that price, does have a little movement upward, a little room for the upside.
That's how we, that's how we use, and I'm saying we in sort of a royal sense. Some people would say, ah, don't ever look at the P-E ratio. Uh, but in my, uh, in my judgment, this is a little bit undervalued. Now, notice something interesting. Target is profitable. How do I know that? Because the earnings per share, total earnings divided by the number of shares, is a whopping $7.32 a share. That's a, you can't beat that. That's a, that that's, you take the total income of, uh, net income of Target divided by the number of shares outstanding, and you've got $7.32 per share that this company earned in its latest report. That is really strong, really strong. And notice something else. Target pays a dividend, and that's not just a dividend. That's a hell of a dividend. They make $7.32 per share. They give back to the shareholders $4.32 of that. So they plow back only $3 per share. They give the majority of what they profit back to their shareholders. So this would be an attractive investment for an older investor or for a, a reasonably cautious investor yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Average, it's all over the place. But for companies, I am I'm all kinds of giddy if I see an EPS above two. And when I see seven, I'm thinking this company is definitely a long haul good investment. In a buy and hold portfolio, you can't beat a tar uh, target like the a, a company like Target. It's just nice, and it's not spectacular. It's not awesome. Gee, we made nine cents today. No, you're not going to become a millionaire overnight. But if you put this in a portfolio, and I'm going to show you this later in the course, if you buy and hold, you don't jump in and jump out. If you just keep holding on, and trust the process. Over a period of 40 years, you can turn $10,000, if you do it the right way, into several million dollars. But you can't piss yourself every time the market goes down, and you can't whoop-de-doo every time the market goes up. You just hold. And you put in stocks like this, and that's your best bet for walking out of your working years as a millionaire. That's, and I'll show you. I can show you how it's done. It's not hard to do, and anyone can do it. Or you can just spend your whole days every day watching markets and buying and selling and thinking you're a genius like I sometimes do. But now, one more thing. They, the, Yahoo is projecting that the stock price in one year will be 174.97. I would not trust that. First of all, think about it. You're taking a projection by a company called Yahoo. Uh, that's your first clue. And the second clue is you can make your own judgments. And I'll make sure that by the time you get out of this course, you're smart enough to do this without Yahoo, without Kramer, without all of those others who seem to have their own ideas that don't pan out nearly as often. I will, however, use this projection to show you some math, how you calculate capital gain uh, and all of that. Just, well, you buy it today, and in one year you sell it, what's your capital gain? 
as a percentage. I'll show you how to do that. It's a pretty stupid uh, Petrix exercise on your calculator or Excel. But in general, projections are worth as much as they cost you. How much did it cost me to go see this projection? Nothing. So that's a good indication there. How much did it cost you to, to get my course? Something. So maybe I should deliver something better to you. But uh, let me, look, I gotta show you something. Have any of you ever heard of a company called Berkshire Hathaway? Oh yeah, that's Warren Buffett's real estate company. Now, wait a minute, there are two Berkshire Hathaways, A and B. Well, B is called the Baby Berks. You buy a share of this for $311.75. You get what every shareholder gets. You get one vote per director on the board of directors. You can go to the annual meeting and hobnob with the big dogs. But there's another Berkshire Hathaway. Same company, but these are called the Big Berks. These are the ones that have super voting control of the company. They are Warren's shares, and Warren's family's shares, and Warren's friends' shares. Let's see how much they are. You Remember, if you buy one of these, you get to sit at a table where you can breathe the air that Warren Buffett breathes. Hello Kitty, that's one of those. $471,755 each. So you might want to look under the seat of your car, see if you got that kind of change. But you see, those you would pay out the ass for those. Notice something interesting about it. It's relatively safe, but wait a minute, they don't pay a dividend. Well, I thought, wait, wait a minute, fat boy, didn't you just say that dividends are paid by old, mature companies? Yes, most of the time, but you see, th this is an exception. Why is this an exception? It's simple. If you got the money to pay $471,000 for a share of stock, you don't give a rat's ass about a dividend check in the mail. Oh, goody, I can buy cat food for myself this week. Uh, no, it does. no one's going to care about a dividend on, a, on stock like this. I mean, they don't have to worry about that. And that's one of those things that you always have to be cautious. People take Warren Buffett as the guru of all things. When the, when the guru sits up there at the top of Mount Olympus, what the hell does he know about anything but what is up there at the top of Mount Olympus? Sort of like those officers who'd strut into our, um, our platoon after we'd had some very difficult times and they had all these things to say. We'd say, okay, that sounds good. And as soon as they'd leave, you know, bye. Uh, anyway, so uh, this gives you a little bit more of a picture. And every day I'm going to do this. We're just going to talk about it until it seeps into you and it becomes part of your style, your thinking as professionals. And no matter whether you're a finance major or if you're in something lesser like accounting or marketing, you can bet okay. Uh, you can benefit from what I what I'm teaching you here and know how to look at numbers for yourself instead of listening to others tell you what to look for. 
And you notice that I don't say, you should buy this or you should sell that. I tell you how you analyze it. Okay, enough of that, though. Now, I kill this. And uh, in my. Okay. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm looking at someone who looks rich. You, madam. Could you hook me up with, like, I need $20. Well, actually, I got a dollar, so I need $19 from you. You got it? I'm good for it. What the heck with you? You, sir, you got the money? I don't think I have. Fine. Okay. So, in other words, the world is full of those institutions, families, individuals, governments that need funds. And notice I don't say money, I say funds. We call those in need of funds deficit economic units. Economic units. Now, uh, Shirley, madam, and I, you say, my name isn't Shirley. Shirley, madam, you have $19, but you don't. But someone in here might, or someone out on campus might. So there is someone who has funds that can be in their pocket. We call those surplus economic units. There has to be some way to match those. And in fact, in our global capital system, this matching happens at the level of trillions of dollars a day swirling all over the world, and all of the people who don't get this kind of an education, all of those people who work day to day, who write weird messages on Facebook about conspiracy theories and blather on podcasts that Rogan spews out or someone else or some leftist, they have no idea, they have no clue that this matching is happening and it's happening at the scale of trillions of dollars. But how is it happening? Well, now, sometimes for relatively small amounts of money, uh, people can work with each other. One's a surplus, one's a deficit economic unit, and they can work it out. But how would you do this on such a scale that it doesn't make noise, it is a hum, a whisper that is going on all the time across the planet. Well, that's where we get into what's called financial intermediation. Now, financial intermediation, I'm going to give you half of the definition right now. Financial intermediation 
is the matching of surplus and deficit economic units. Financial intermediation is the matching of surplus and deficit economic units. But there's more to the story than that. Let us say that you, sir, have $19. And I need $19, okay? So, okay, now I'm gonna pay you back in one month. And you say, absolutely not, fat boy. I want my money back in a week. Really? Okay, so I have to go to you. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll take it back in a month with interest. So in other words, timing has to be part of this. Do these two sides have the same time in mind? Someone might have $200,000 so you can buy that dream home. Well, but they, you, they want their money back in a year. And you were thinking more like a 30-year loan, so that one won't work. Timing has to be the same between the units. A life insurance company has, uh, life insurance companies have hundreds of billions of dollars but they don't want to lend them out for a month or a year or even five years. They're in the business of having those funds out there earning for them over very long periods of time because they won't need them to pay off ins life insurance claims for a long time. Madam, you will die someday. D you know that, right? Okay, but you're not going to die for maybe, oh God, probably about 80 years unless you're, you keep being irresponsible and then, you know, goodbye, lady. But the, the point there is that they don't want that money back in a very quick fashion. Timing is a huge part of how investments work. It was like I told you uh, the story, and I'll repeat it here. They're very, very large credit-worthy corporations oftentimes will need money for just a short period of time, for a couple of weeks or for a month. And so then there are also investors who don't want to have their money gone for more than a month. Uh, they, you know, you get a big, huge payment in and you don't have to pay any bills for a month. So you put, you, they want to earn something on it. So that's where we get into something called the commercial paper market. And it is enormous. I mean, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars on any given day, even billions. So, the, so the, that's that timing too. Surplus economic units that aren't going to want to get, have their money floating around for a long time and deficit economic units that don't need it for more than a couple of weeks or a month. So that, is, that timing is huge. Okay, next one. You, sir, we have worked out that you will lend me money for a month. And I said, I need $19. You said, no, I've got a hundred dollars. I don't. I want to put it somewhere. I don't want to, you know, here, here, here. I. Oh, so you're not going to lend me nineteen dollars? And I say, and you say, absolutely not. No. Uh, okay. And so I find you, madam, and you are happily saying, well, I've got some money. Let me see how much I got. And you find a ten-dollar bill. I say, no, I, I need nineteen dollars. And so it didn't work there. The amount. 
the level, as we call it, which is a fancy way of saying the amount. So level has to match. Not just timing, but level. And then there's one more that we can uh, talk about here. There's another one. You, sir, I'd like to borrow. You've got $19. You want it back in a month. And I said, so we're good, right? And you say, oh, hell no. I'm not going to lend to you. You're a risky mofo. I've seen you. You hang out at Denny's late at night looking for a friend. You know, weirdo. Yeah, so you understand risk. Risk is involved. Some deficit units are high, very high risk. Some are very low risk. Some surplus economic units are willing to take on risk because you expect a higher return with higher risk. But others are, no, no, no. I want something that's relatively safe. That's why commercial paper is so popular is because it's very safe, big, ginormous companies that just need money for a little while. So, and certainly a company that has a pile of money isn't going to want to throw that at something that they might lose that money that they have to use for bills to pay in a month or so. So that would be a low-risk market right there. Similarly, the kinds of institutions that lend school districts money, uh, the muni, the, uh, the, that's a type of muni bond, those, those are looking for something that's pretty low risk because very rarely will a school district default. And also, a lot of times, the school district will levy a specific revenue tax that will pay the bond payments, the interest payments and the face value back. So uh, the risk is there, too. So these are the three factors. So to finish this definition, financial intermediation is the matching of surplus and deficit economic units taking into account level, timing, and risk. Financial intermediation is the matching of surplus and deficit economic units taking into account level, timing, and risk. You put all those together, and you've got the financial intermediation. And it is an insanely well-oiled machine. There, the match will happen on almost any level of risk, for almost any level of money, for almost any level of timing. There is a match that can be made. Even when you're talking, I mean, you're talking about risk that is really, really hard. We match it. People who are high, high risk, they can get payday loans. Those payday loans don't come from stupid places. They come from uh, banks that use different names for their high-risk community lendings. We have timing. You can get fine investors that are willing to invest for 10, 20, 30 years, 50 years, 100 years. Yes, there are... Uh, bonds out there that are 100 and more in length. How could that possibly be? There are a couple of things I can tell you right now. In your lifetimes, it won't happen right away, and it will be well down the road. 
30 to 40 years, we are already beginning to do the engineering so that we can start mining asteroids. But that's going to take a lot of money and it's going to take a lot of time for that to turn into money that can be paid back. Taking it out further, earthquakes. Did you know we sit on an earthquake fault here, a fault line here? Not far from it. It's called the New Madrid, New Madrid Fault Line. It is, the last time it let go was more than two centuries ago, in the early 1800s. But my God, it was reading the letters from St. Louis, people who lived in St. Louis. It was like li literally reading apocalypse uh, literature, what they described happened. And it wasn't just one, it just kept blowing and blowing. Then there'd be aftershocks and then another major earthquake. It was so bad that the uh, explorers along the Mississippi and the uh, early pioneers and farmers said the Mississippi River ran backwards. What actually happened was the earthquake was so powerful that it heaved the Mississippi up and threw the water back up channel and then it came down like a tsunami and wiped out the farmlands along the uh, shorelines, way inland from the shores, that bad. And we also know that from uh, our studies of Native American oral legend or oral culture that they described something that must have happened back in the 12 or 1300s, another event like that. So in other words, frequency extremely low on the level of centuries, on, on the timing of centuries, but the uh, severity is insane. If that happened today, it would be like a true catastrophe. Don't worry, the probability in any given year is obviously very low. But you can see why an, an insurance company that would want to insure for earthquakes, they would want to take those premiums and they would want to invest for a very long period of time because there is a very low probability that they will need it in any given year for possibly a century or more. So that's the context of this. It's real and the matching happens every minute of every day of every uh, year. And it's getting thicker and thicker. By the time, if you were in my class here in 20 years, <laughs> like I'll be around in 20 years, I would be talking not in quadrillions, I would be talking in quintillions of dollars every day. Anyway, you got a quiz, open up VeggieNet, it's in there ready for you to take. And when you're finished, that's all I have for you today. I thank you.